everyone and uh, welcome. I'd first like to thank Ely Content Nontel for joining me today on the program. Uh, Ely is heavily involved in both federal and provincial politics. He's a writer for the Post Millennial as well as the host of the Saved Gen Z podcast that can be found on YouTube as well as in the description box down below. Uh, Ely, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to join me today. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, so Ely, my first question, and I know we kind of talked about this before we get started, but why did you get involved in politics? Well, it, I guess it's because it's something that interested me. I've actually always uh, had a, um, a thing for politics. Uh, um, actually, when I was just a bit younger than you, when I was uh, eight years old, um, I went to a school and our school was beside a campaign office. It was a liberal campaign office. But anyways, I knew it was a campaign office. Nobody else knew it was a campaign office. One day I went in and I said, can I have a button? And I wanted a button and it was a Dalton McGinty button. So, and I walked around with that for, I think, the rest of the election campaign uh, back in 2014. So, I don't know, 2011. But, so, um you know, thing naturally, I always had a, a, a thing for politics. I really got more interested, I would say grade seven. Um, we had a teacher who used to love having political discussions. And I guess I kind of started getting my own views there. And by uh, grade eight, when I was 14, I joined the Conservative Party of Canada to vote uh, in the leadership race. And then, you know, the rest goes on from there. Okay, um, so my next question is, I'm sure that you know that uh, the Young Conservatives movement is growing. What uh, would you say uh, are more steps that should be taken to ensure that more young Canadians get involved? Well, we need better activism, better uh, ways to reach out. I mean, if we look at what uh, in the United States, there are uh, a dozen uh, grassroots, uh, well-funded, uh, powerful uh, young conservative organizations that, you know, really are underground and they really... Uh, work hard to grow the movement. We don't have really have that here in Canada. We have political youth wings, but as someone who used to be in one, those are mostly just a little sandbox for um, you know rich kids to take photos with elected officials. We don't really have uh, you know TPUSAs and stuff like that. Uh, so I think uh, grassroots movements, like what I've done, what you're doing, what other people are doing, um, you know, presence on social media, these podcasts, working with politicians to interact with the next generation is probably uh, the best thing we can do here in Canada to grow our conservative movement. Okay, um, so uh, from a young person's perspective, and I have my own views on this, and perhaps we can talk about that in a little while, but uh, would, do you, are you supporting the nation and province-wide lockdowns? But like, just are you supporting it, but are you supporting it as it relates to small businesses? So um, something about me, I am not in favor of uh, lockdowns. Uh, I've done quite a lot of research on this. So during the first lockdown, I understand we did not really know what COVID was. Uh, we had seen uh, what happened in countries like Italy and um, Iran and China. So it was the right thing to do, but now I think it was a mistake. Uh, what we have realized through studies is that the um, lockdown damages are 10 times harder than the benefits. And we've seen uh, tons of debt, businesses closing, mental health just out of control, you know, antidepressant uh, medication prescriptions are up 600%. Uh, one in four young people contemplated suicide in the last 90 days. So stuff like that, people have uh, gained weight. Uh, people are now lazier. They don't want to go back to work. We have high debt. 
And not only that, but the lockdowns do not work. We've been in a lockdown. Toronto has been in a lockdown for almost two months now, and you're still seeing record high numbers. Ontario was in a province-wide shutdown for two weeks, and we saw a record for over 4,000 cases last week. The issue is it doesn't spread in stores because we have masks and we have social distancing. It spreads in people's homes and in gatherings. British Columbia gets that. In British Columbia, they flatten the curve. Not one restaurant is closed. Not one small business is closed. But there is no gatherings. It's a social lockdown. And that has proven to be much more effective and much less harmful. And um, I just had uh, MPP for Northumberland, Peterborough South, David Piccini. I just had him on. I just recorded an episode with him. Uh, and, and he agreed to the fact that uh, the lockdowns won't help um, to... Well, they will help to lower the cases, but he agreed to the fact that they're just going to go back up after the lockdown. So mm-hmm. what uh, MPP Pacini mentioned was um, that the reason they're doing these lockdowns is so that um, when so that they can vaccine, uh, give everybody that wants a vaccine a vaccine and then uh, just have the lockdown for the duration of that time up until everyone can get vaccinated and then start to reopen things again. Well, that's not as sustainable because, Wyatt, we will only start mass vaccinations uh, in about May or June and reach herd immunity by September. That would mean we'd have to be locked down for months and months and months. Uh, We don't have to go this way. Yes, cases will go back up again if we just lift everything. But we can look at other countries such as um, New Zealand and Australia and even Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan. Uh, They do massive testing. Um, if right now in Ontario, if you want to get a test, you can't get one unless you have a bunch of different requirements. In Japan, you can buy a test in a vending machine and self-administer that test yourself. We need more of that. You know, uh, this summer, the reason why a contributor to why cases didn't rise in the summer is people would go to parties. But the next day, they would line up and go get tested. And when the fall came and, you know, more people got tested, people didn't do that anymore, but they still went to parties. And that's, you know, why uh, one of the contributors to how, why things exploded. So we need much more testing, lots of tracing. Uh, I don't know if you've been to a restaurant before the lockdown, but they would take your phone number, for example. And if they found you in close contact, uh, you'd get tested. Stuff like that. I think there is a way to control the level of cases. And another way too is responsibility here in Ottawa, for example, we had low flat numbers for two months and they only rose after Christmas. So personal responsibility, tr- con- uh, good contact tracing and testing um, and more education, I think will b- keep the numbers down. But I think to just lock down for months and months and months would be a very um, ridiculous decision. Okay, and um, so we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more later. But my next question is, there's been many calls uh, to defund the police, um, especially over the last couple of months uh, and throughout the BLM movement. What would you mm-hmm. say to what would you say to someone who supports uh, defunding the police? I would say that they're not uh, they're not doing proper research. Uh, I've definitely uh, been familiar with uh, that movement. I've written a couple articles on it, and uh, um, it just doesn't make sense. Look, there is inequalities in uh, police force. I think anyone can acknowledge that. But the way you fix that is with more money, not less money. Uh, Because when you defund the police, the first thing they'll cut is training. So you'll have uh, worse. You know, if we cut 
funding, you're going to have a less quality police department, which is the opposite of what we want. If we want more sensitivity training and other, um, you know, empathy building, uh, you know, ways to root out uh, racism, you're not going to do that through cutting funding. We've also seen defunding the police is very dangerous. Uh, in cities in the United States, some crime has skyrocketed 600, 800% because uh, the police, uh, there was less police. People were leaving at mass numbers. So I really don't think it's the right way to go forward. It harms people. It creates a, a hate towards those who, um, you know, put their lives on the line to serve in uniform. And it will simply lead to worse police department and more crime. And I don't think anybody wants that. Yeah, absolutely. My next one is uh, one thing that the Conservative Party really struggled with in the last election was their support in Quebec. Um, and mm. I mean, I think that the new leader, Aaron O'Toole, has been really trying to think about that because he knows that is a, a key strategy for the Conservative Party to win the next election. For example, uh, he appointed many members of his shadow cabinet from Quebec. Um, and in the last election, the Conservative Party only won 10 out of the 78 seats that were available. Uh, so what steps do you think that uh, could be taken in order to grow the CPC's uh, seat count in the next federal election? That's a very good question. I'm glad you brought up Quebec. You know, moi je viens du Québec. I'm a, a Quebec native. Um, something that's interesting is that it's so much easier than they're making it seem. Quebec is actually very very conservative in social aspects. They support low immigration. They want low taxes. Uh, not, they're not for political correctness. If you watch French CBC, for example, like their comedy shows, they make fun of PC culture and you know some of the other left-wing activism. You would never see that on English CBC ever, but you see that on French CBC. So I, I think that conservatives, first of all, have to, uh, you know, not, uh, they have to campaign differently. Aaron O'Toole gets that. And I think that is very smart is that uh, telling people in Quebec uh, the way Andrew Scheer did, going into Quebec and saying, I'm a Catholic who's gonna build pipelines and uh, that, that's not something that's gonna be popular. Uh, you gotta have a different message, maybe a message of uh, uh, autonomy. You can put in the laws you want in your nation. You can, uh, we will have low immigration. We will have a screening for uh, Quebec and Canadian values. We will defend free speech. Stuff like that is very popular amongst Quebecers. And I think that with the rebranded party that Aaron is uh, working on, um, if he just follows these very basic step of appealing to Quebecers the way that the CAQ did and even the Bloc Québécois did, uh, he's going to do very well come the next elections because Quebecers are fed up with Justin Trudeau. So, so you would you would definitely say then uh, that uh, Aaron O'Toole's base in Quebec is better than Andrew Shear's base in Quebec was. It could, but that that's up to him, right? If he goes into Quebec and talks about pipelines in Alberta, he's not going to do well. He has to talk about uh, issues of Quebec, and it becomes a very uh, you know fragile case because. In Ontario, for example, if you talk about immigration from a conservative point of view, uh, you might have trouble in the GTA. So you got to find, you know, you really have to find a fine line. And unfortunately, because of Justin Trudeau, Canada is more divided than ever. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge, but I, I have confidence that he can pull it off. And so you would say that the Bloc Québécois is the conservative's biggest challenge in Quebec at this point? Oh, it is because we lost seats to the Bloc Québécois in the last election. Uh, they are they have a pretty conservative uh, view on things like immigration and certain social issues, not the abortion or stuff like that, but more like free speech and cultural issues. Um, they give a very I was I work um, 
on the hill and I, uh, the, there was a, an MP that gave a very uh, passionate uh, speech about assimilation and multiculturalism, you know, a very nationalist speech. You wouldn't hear that from conservatives. So on some issues, they're more to the right of conservatives and that's very popular in Quebec. So it is definitely the Bloc Québécois, the conservatives number one uh, problem in Quebec. And I think it's unfortunate that Andrew Scheer didn't garner the support in the last election because we had an open net in Quebec and now the net is uh, a little bit uh, more closed because the Bloc is popular. Okay, uh, the next question is, the CBC is giving the Conservatives a 9% chance of winning the next election. Obviously, the CBC is a fairly left-leaning news networks, but do you believe that the Conservatives can still win the next election, especially with Justin Trudeau's uh, pandemic highs that um, he's in? Well, it depends what uh, when the election is and then what happens in between. So we saw this summer, for example, with the wheat charity scandal that completely collapsed Trudeau's high-pole numbers. Uh, we can see that happen again. Uh, the vaccines, Trudeau's doing a poor job on the vaccines. If we have an election in the spring where other countries have reopened up and they have freedom because they have vaccines, but Canada is still under lockdown, that's going to look terrible on Justin Trudeau. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's going to be tough because pandemics have, uh, with the exception of Donald Trump, uh, pandemics have really given a lot of leaders uh, a boost in uh, popularity. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Canada cannot afford four more years of Justin Trudeau. I am already starting and a lot of people are already starting to have trouble recognizing Canada. And I think that if we give that guy four more years in office, Canada is not going to look the same as it did when he first entered office or even as it does now. Yeah, well, because even, um, you know, during the middle of the pandemic, uh, Trudeau's uh, Liberal Party was polling at around 40 percent. Uh, in the polls. And now, you know, they're polling at around 34, 33%. Uh, so it's obviously dropped quite significantly over um, mm -hmm. the course of a little while. Uh, so I know you've been Which outspoken. Yeah, absolutely. I know, <laughs> I, know, I know you have been outspoken about the idea that kids need to return to school. However, a new statistic shows that one in five kids are testing positive for COVID-19, even though I already know what you, what you would say to this, that a large amount of them are likely asymptomatic. But does this data not concern you? Does it concern you? What would you say? So I think you're referring to the positivity rate. Um, what's important to note is the positivity, uh, the, sorry, the testing amongst kids has dropped. So because when schools were open, uh, right, if you had just like one or two little symptoms, you were sent to get a test. Right, or if you somebody in your school had COVID, or somebody in your class had COVID, you were sent to get tested. So you had a lot of kids get tested when schools closed uh, during for the holidays. You don't uh, need kids to be tested uh, as much as it was much less. So of course, it's only those with actual COVID symptoms that when they get tested. And we know since less kids get COVID than adults, those who have symptoms are more likely to actually have COVID than other things. If we look at the raw numbers, and these numbers are from the government of Ontario's uh, data. Um, data that you can find on their website. Um, we see that on December, in December, uh, mid-December on the 15th, uh, the cases for uh, age 48 was 85. And then on January the 8th, uh, it's also uh, 85. So the same number uh, two weeks later with uh, after Christmas. So there isn't really an increase. There's a slight increase in kids a bit older but that just reflects the community at large because cases are, if cases increase in adults, they will increase in kids, but it's really not out of control. And other provinces that are far worse off in Ontario have kept schools open because they know that schools are safe and they're also essential. 
Yes, I, w- I would definitely agree with you on the fact that schools are essential, and I think that uh, we need to reopen them as soon as possible. But mm-hmm. um, I think that the part that I really am, you know, going on is the fact that I want them to be reopened at a time when they're not going to be closed again. I don't want, uh, you know, the government to reopen them and then two weeks later they close them down and going back and forth yeah. between opening them and closing them. Uh, totally. And same thing with the lockdowns, right? I mean, uh, uh, to reopen and close, reopen and close is probably worse than just staying closed. Yeah. Okay. So the Trudeau Liberals have implemented a numerous amount of new taxes since the pandemic began, including a second carbon tax as well as the Netflix tax. The new Netflix tax will allow Netflix users' monthly subscription price to increase. Uh, Justin Trudeau is likely implementing uh, new taxes to deal, you know, with his deficits. Uh, are new taxes really a solution? Well, I mean, what else is he going to do? Keep on printing money. I mean, that that's where that's the problem when we've spent so much money is you got to pay it back or else we're going to have a debt crisis. And it's unfortunate. Trudeau spent much more money than other leaders and he spent money on things that were not, uh, uh, that he shouldn't have spent money on, on, you know, some global uh, efforts and uh, gave some of his benefits. I mean, CEOs who earned millions of dollars were able to apply for some of his, his benefits. That's nonsense. Uh, travelers who were coming back from a, a leisure trip were able to get benefits and other stuff like that. CERB, which was a, a very, um, you know, quickly made and bad program that just, you know, gave people, un, you know, unfair amounts of money, right? So a kid that's like my age working uh, only part-time at a, you know, at a non-essential store, uh, making maybe a thousand bucks a month, now suddenly has 2000 bucks a month, while somebody maybe who makes 5,000 bucks a month is also stuck with 2,000 bucks a month, right? That's not fair. That's not a good policy. So I think that all of these policies, I mean, he did this on purpose uh, to gain votes. He likes to pander and to buy votes. But I think now we're going to have serious consequences going into the next year, and it will require either high taxes, cuts, or both. Okay, um, my next one is that uh, Donald Trump, um, we're going to turn to U.S. politics for a second here. Donald Trump has been banned from Twitter, as I'm sure you know, uh, following the riots in the Capitol. Whether it was his fault or not is obviously a completely different story. But would you support the impeachment of Donald Trump? Well, I think he needs to be held accountable because he went, I mean, first of all, he ran this complete uh, unproven uh, hoax about election fraud that is very dangerous. And I think that I'll go on a bit later, but it's really going to hurt Republicans. Uh, when Trump lost the election, I was infor- I was disappointed, but there was a clear path to victory in two and four years. I think that is now much less because of his uh, selfish actions. But I think that when you go up uh, in front of the presidential seal and you tell people this was fraud, uh, we will not never concede. We will not take this anymore. Now go march to the Capitol and you know let them know how you feel in a very angry voice. And keep in note that the people who were at the event literally think that their election system is being you know hijacked by a bunch of uh, you know globalist elites. When you you know imagine for a second if if you thought that your democracy was about to be a scrap. I mean you'd probably be angry. So because of this, he let people. Uh, to uh, to um, do something that was completely unwarranted for because there is no such thing as widespread voter fraud that breaking into the capital I mean looking making our movement look completely ridiculous um, impeachment I mean I'm kind of on the line I've said in the past he should but uh, America is so divided right now that I don't know if if it's really the best thing to do I think that he should be charged and he should go to jail 
but that should be up to a, a justice to do so and not politicians who are elected on a party with a partisan agenda. Yeah, so um, I mean, obviously the reason that uh, many politicians want him out now is so that therefore he cannot run again in 2024. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, whether it's dangerous or not is a different story. But uh, the next one is uh, there are many different opinions regarding the different provincial governments uh, and their responses to the pandemic. Premier Horgan's rating is the highest in all of Canada, and Premier Jason Kenney of Alberta's is the lowest. Do you believe that the Rachel Notley NDP would be able to defeat the Jason Kenney UCP in the next Alberta provincial election like they did in 2015? Well, I saw a very concerning poll the other day that said yes, and I was shocked. Um, Look, John Horgan, the reason why he's done very well is because he doesn't make the decision. And it becomes a really, there's a pro and con when you have doctors having complete power. I support democracy, but at the same time, uh, Dr. Henry out in BC does not make political decisions. She makes science-based decisions. Mm-hmm. So in BC, as I said earlier, you can go to a restaurant. I believe you can go to the gym. Uh, you can go shopping, but you can't have gatherings. So they did a social lockdown. That's very popular. In Manitoba, I'm pretty sure you can tell me if you have your stat, but Pallister is also near the bottom because he um, went all out full lockdown and people don't like that. Uh, Jason Kenney, I believe, has done somewhat of a good job. I think one of the reasons why he's not doing well is because he spoke out against lockdowns for a while and then went and imposed the lockdown. So that kind of looks bad on him. Alberta is a very interesting place because you'll have people on the left who will cry out that you're not doing enough and people on the right. So, you know, it's, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Either you go on the conservative side and get hammered by the mainstream media and the left, or you go on the left-wing side and you get hammered by your base. So he's really in a bad position, but I'll give him credit for not closing businesses and keeping schools open. So um, what we just talked about there about Brian Pallister, I just pulled up the stat here. It's a different stat. It's not the same one. This one is done by Angus Reid Institute. Uh, but Angus Reid Institute actually has Brian Pallister at the bottom. Uh, yeah, that's at, the one I had seen at some point because he's just been yeah. terrible. So. Uh, so Brian Pallister is at 32%. And then we have Jason Kenney at 40%. And then the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador at 53 Doug Ford at 55 Scott Moe at 61 um, Stephen McNeil at 62 uh, Blaine Higgs at 63 Francois Legault at 64 and also John Horgan at 64 yeah, um, again, Francois Legault is very good at talking to Quebecers. Now, I don't agree with some of his decisions. I think closing restaurants and gyms in October was a very bad idea, and it's unscientific because that's not what public health Quebec had recommended. But he's really good at talking to people and making some decisions he understands. He's like, okay, so I understand people need to you know, get exercise, so we'll keep skating rinks open. We'll keep ski resorts open for you. He's very calm, you know, compared to Doug Ford, who gets up and he's always kind of angry. And I think that um, the, the tone that the government uh, t- uses when it talks to people is very important. And I think that Legault and Horgan have understood how to talk to people. And I think that's probably why they're, they're doing well. Okay. And uh, my next one is many politicians have been caught traveling out of the country during the holidays, including mm-hmm. Tracy Allard, Rod Phillips, liberal MPs, few conservative MPs. Uh, should these politicians be resigning? And what steps do you think uh, should be taken in order to make, to make sure that they're held accountable? Oh, they should absolutely resign. Here, here's the thing. If you lock down your country and you tell the people you can't travel and you go and travel, you leave these people in a desperate situation in lockdown. Excuse me, bye-bye. I'm going to go to a $10,000 a week luxury vacation island. 
you, you got to go because that's just wrong. And I think what really angered me with Rod Phillips is that he made social media posts pretending to be in Ontario because he knew it was wrong. Uh, however, another thing that has come out of this, which is bad, is that now politicians are not, are not allowed to travel, period. Uh, there was um, a liberal MP that resigned. She had traveled for essential reasons. Same thing with Nikki Ashton. She, in Greece, to go into Greece, you need to prove you're traveling for essential reasons. And the government granted her application. This was an essential trip to see a dying relatives. You know, I'm sorry, but if I had a relative that's dying on the other side of the world, I would go and see them, right? So I think that it's created a bad, um, a bad stigma. And now a lot of people who do need to travel for essential reasons won't be able to because of the Rod Phillips and the Tracy Allard and these other politicians who thought they were above everyone else and decided to go for a trip. Okay, so um, do you have anything else you'd like to say or any questions you'd like to ask? Or? Well, I just wanna say that I think your initiative is quite fascinating because um, people tell me that uh, I, I'm phenomenal and that I, I'm pretty cool at doing this at 17, but you're 10, you're seven years younger than me and you're, you're doing this yourself, which is just mind blowing. And you know so much. I, know, I didn't know uh, half of the things you know when I was your age and I was already you know, kind of a, a, a nerd. So I would say, keep it up. And I look forward to um, seeing more of, of your work and your articles and your podcasts. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much, Eli, for uh, joining me today.